0: And so we started off the year talking about this idea that we all have a cause. Some of us, our cause might be politics. It might be uh, 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 going green or, or some force, something of some nature. We all have a cause. But as disciples of Jesus, we have the greatest cause. And that's the cause of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Lord, Jesus the Messiah. We're not part of something that will fade or pass. We're not part of something that we will not even talk about in a few years. We're part of something that's been going on since the creation of the universe. And so we have the opportunity to know, to follow, but then also show the real Jesus to our neighbors, our friends, and our coworkers. And there's something that's really cool that's been going on. And I, 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 I'm hopeful. I've been praying. I feel like, God, you want a revival here in the West Whether it's in America or or in, in Europe, I believe that God wants and is working on having a revival. And in our churches, we need a revival, amen. And so we see something really cool. I don't know if you guys have been taking notes, but you know, there's some things that have been going on in our world In which, you know, there's always been some, you know, when it came to the Great Awakening over in the 1800s, or you talk about the the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s, our heritage of churches has always been a part of these movements and been pivotal in God's word advancing across the lands. And just a, a few weeks back there, some of you know, I know big social media, People, uh, most of you guys are, uh, there was some, some uh, uh, kind of like a mini old school revival, tent revival taking place over in Kentucky at a small uh, university that, that really started to spread and be something really large. And then we've seen the Chosen series and we've also seen uh, the Jesus Revolution movie come out, which are having actually phenomenal success. And so people are taking note. Something is going on right now. And my prayer is that our fellowship, we won't be in the back rows, but we'll be in the front lines of what God is doing. Amen? And so we've been looking at and studying out, and I believe God is working out the time. I don't believe it's a coincidence as we start to go back and go, hey, let's focus. Let's get back to who the real Jesus is and was. And so that's what we've been studying out for the last couple of weeks. Oh, sorry, I got a little ahead of myself. But some of y'all go, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Had to prepare you. That was the Lord preparing you. And so we've been studying now since the beginning of the year what we are calling the real Jesus. And so we're walking through and studying out and walking through the whole biography or letter of Luke that was written documenting Jesus' life and ministry. And we've been learning what does it mean to follow the real Jesus. And so we've learned a lot of good things. And last week, Kyle did a phenomenal job in showing us that Jesus finds what was lost, that he's continually seeking and searching out for those of us who are lost so that we can be found again. And so we're going to continue this week. And so we're going to be talking about how the real Jesus wasn't American. Ooh, uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yes, he went there. Some of y'all don't like that. Here's the thing, and this is why it's so important that we dive into who Jesus really is, because what will happen, what does happen, which you and I have done, which societies and countries have done, what churches have done, is we begin to have Jesus start to mold into what we want him to be. So he begins to think the way we think. And so we insert or we put upon Jesus our current context, our philosophy, our customs, our traditions into Jesus. And they go, here's how Jesus would be. But what happens is that we actually veer from following the real Jesus. Church, are you with me here? Again, every single one of us has done this. That's why we even have these false images of what Jesus looks like, because everybody wants Jesus to fit into their context. That's why, again, it's so important that we know the real Jesus. And therefore, we make the decisions to follow the real Jesus. And again, if you're a follower of real Jesus, then now you are part of this opportunity of showing those around you who the real Jesus is. Because right now, we have a misunderstanding or uh, an inaccurate depiction of who Jesus really is. And so, again, we're part of this great cause. And so we're going to go ahead and look into who the real Jesus was and how he wasn't American. Church, are you with me here? All right, again, the real Jesus got some people upset, so I know there's already some people upset, and you want to cancel me, that's okay. Because at least my wife and my kids love me. Well, at least they love me on certain days, you know what I'm saying? But let's go ahead and let's go to the Father in prayer. Father, thank you so much already for this chance to worship you, God. You are a God who is worthy of our worship. And as we sang t- here today, God, we can raise a hallelujah. We can say hallelujah. We can say praise the Lord because you are good, because you have rescued many of us in this room. And, God, we know you want to rescue those who haven't been rescued yet. And, God, we pray right now that we can not only observe, we can not only consider, we can not only reflect, but, God, that we can submit and surrender to the lordship of Jesus. God, that we can make decisions today to not only know you, but to follow you. And God, we know Easter's coming up. Father, we pray that we can see more and more souls have the opportunity to themselves know and follow the real Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Got to mention a couple quick things there. Um, uh, the Morrises from South Orange County are part of our church are here, and uh, they have a, a really cool thing called Higher Grounds, and uh, they're setting up their coffee setup outside for us after service so you can go ahead and get your, your fix in and uh, go ahead and have some fellowship with the Higher Grounds. So we want to thank the Morrises. I saw them earlier around here, but they're setting up, and we're excited about that. Amen. And real quickly, all those part of the sound class meet on stage after service, right? Amen. Uh, You know, in the church here, uh, at least in our our, our, our North OC ministry, we we like to also join in on what America is celebrating. So uh, in February, there's Black History Month, and then we also have Women's History Month that is currently taking place. And so, all right, come on. There you go. Melody's fired up. Hey, man, her husband better be fired up. You know what I'm saying? She's over here like, yeah, yeah. Where's your cheering at? He's like, honey, you know I love you. All right, so uh, you know what's really cool is we, we, yeah, we, we value women the way Jesus values women, but we're excited here today to go over and have a little treat, and we're gonna actually have my wife, Karina Hall, come up on stage here with us today. And so uh, Karina and I are going to go ahead and uh, walk through some Luke here and uh, make some observations here, and uh, we can go ahead and uh, get into it real quick. Now, I will say this here. This is so important here, and just like we talked about a few weeks ago, when Jesus challenges our worldviews, it's going to lead us to a point where we have to do something. We're either going to make a decision that we're just going to reject who the real Jesus is or what he teaches and just say, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to still follow what I want to follow and believe what I want to believe. Or we can make a decision that I'm going to minimize it, what he's saying, to justify what I'm currently doing and what I desire. Or we make a decision that we are going to surrender, submit, and follow him as Lord, and then make sure that covers my current context of life. You guys get what I'm saying? And so it's important here, again, as we see this, that, that we understand we're all going to have to make a decision. There's going to be one of those three choices. To either reject, to minimize, or to accept and follow. You guys with me, church? Turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. As we uh, go there, let's, uh, Karina, I know many of the people know you, but let's go ahead and maybe you can introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are.
1: Sure, Um, my name is Karina, and I have been a Christian now for uh, 22 years, and um, I am a wife, Uh, I have the best husband in the world.
0: Amen, amen. Fired up, I can go to bed well tonight, amen.
1: (laughs) Okay, so I get that new thing that I wanted. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I said it. Um, They're just kidding. Um, I did tell her to say that. I did tell her to say that. No, I have have three kids. We have three kids, uh, 12, 10, and four. And um, let's see, Um, I am one of uh, six kids, so I have lots of family uh, that are all local. And um, that's a little bit about me. Oh, and I work full-time in the ministry, um, but also recently I started um, substitute teaching as well. So, a little fun fact.
0: Amen. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and let's get into it. Luke chapter 16. Church, are you with me? All right. So, here we go. So, in Luke chapter 16, we'll have to take it up here because we're going to see that Jesus is going to approach the topic and subject of money. Ooh. Oh, Yeah. People, some hate when we talk about money in the church here. Okay, all right. All right, this is not a plea to get more money. This is not what it is. But we're going to see the real Jesus wasn't American because as Americans, what does our culture and society value? Money. And so this is a big part of our fabric as a culture. And so Jesus is going to talk about money and wealth and possessions we're going to take it up right after he talks about this parable of the shrewd manager. And he says something here in, in verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. That's interesting, sneering at him. So so they're upset that what he's saying and how it applies to them. They're turning their nose up at Jesus as he says these things. And he said to them, you are the one to justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sights. Let's go ahead and stop right there. Karina, maybe you could share, what were some of the things that stood out to you about the real Jesus here?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing was obviously that um, he was challenging their view of money and how, and specifically how Uh, They used it how we were using it. And so that story of the parable of the shrewd manager is a little interesting to me Um, but What I got from it is he's he's Kind of turning things upside down. He's like, okay, I'm giving you this Um, Money is is a tool and the way you're using it you've is not the way you should be using it Um, but I think what really stood out to me was verse 13, where it says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or will, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I, I think that really stood out to me because it's interesting that he said, You cannot serve both God and money. But you think about money, money is an object um, and it's supposed to serve us. Um, it's the tool that we have for our purposes. Like, So I just it just made me think, wow, how do we then serve money? How then does money become personified? Um, and how then does money become a god or in the place of God? How does it become a master? Um, because that's really what Jesus is saying. Hey, you can't serve both God and money, but money, like, I can't picture this, you know, dollar bill as, as a God, um, obviously, but that's what he's saying. You, this, is the, this is your master. Money then becomes what is going to dictate what you do and how you live. Um, and so I thought about, okay, well, how can money become Um, a master and I thought in just for anyone and I think overworking to have it you can overwork um, so that you can have more of it Uh, you can compromise your righteousness uh, to save more or to have more of it Uh, and also our decisions and the way that we think can be ruled by money and that can be in subtle or obvious ways like I clearly don't wake up in the morning and bow down to a dollar bill. Uh, That would be maybe, um, aside from weird, that would be more obvious. Uh, But also, um, it can be obvious in just how, oh, this person's obviously ruled by money. That's all they, you know, want to do. Like, they they just work and work for money. Um, But I think it can also be in subtle ways. Um, The the little shortcuts that we can make um, to save a little more, or to have a little more, or, um, you know, the times when you say, it's just, (laughs) it's just, and something else follows, because really what it is, um, is you're you're making an excuse, and so I think those are the subtle ways that I think can be a little bit on the scarier side, Um, but then there's something else, do I go on, or do you want to, okay, (laughs) Um, I think also, um, in verse 14 um you know he calls out the pharisees who he says loved money uh and then in verse uh 15 he says he said to them you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men but god knows your hearts and you know i i feel like i've heard that term god knows my heart or god you know you hear that a lot so it, was, it just stood out to me this time reading it that Jesus used that. Like Jesus said, God knows your hearts. But when we say it, it's a little bit of a justification. Like I just did something, but God knows my heart. <laughs> and yet Jesus is not saying it as a justification. He's saying it as a judgment. God knows your hearts. And he knows like he's, you know, He knows that you justify yourselves in the eyes of men. And that's a scary thought because I think we can fall into that same trap. That when we can make excuses for ourselves and want to justify ourselves um, and compare ourselves to others. And, you know, um, we can kind of see it's easy because I think we live in (laughs) this society. And so it's easy to find someone who's a lot more greedy or who is using money unwisely, um, but it doesn't matter um, if there's someone else who's who's um, making bad choices or there's someone who has more money. That's the other thing that I think I can not think about this as much because I feel like, well, I, you know, I don't have a lot of money. I'm not wealthy. Um, and so you can find somebody else who has more wealth or who has made other bad decisions and think, God sees my heart. But... That's a scary thought, (laughs) I think, um, really. Because um, if I have to say that, like if if I have to say, oh, God sees my heart, then it's probably uh, not a good thing. And, you know, when you think about it, he's talking to the Pharisees who were in many ways righteous, um, who believed in God, who followed the commands, or at least appeared to follow the commands. They gave a tithe. um, And so on the outside it looked like they were doing the right things, and people thought they were doing the right things, but Jesus saw that in their hearts there was a love of money that wasn't good. And it just makes me wonder what's in my heart that Jesus would call out.
0: You know, the, the part that when you just shared there, the personification of money, that's, that's like, that's just deep to me. Because, you know, let's just go back to it, right? Like in the first part, he says there, and uh, he says, use worldly wealth. And then you go on. And now he says, don't serve God in money. So that transition from it being a tool to now being personified, there's something that took place, right? It's supposed to be used, but now it's something that's worshipped and submitted and surrendered to. And that's just why we, we wouldn't personify a lot of things, you know what I mean? Like, we wouldn't personify this chair. This chair is obviously used to sit on. We're like, yeah, you just use that chair. But now if I go, hey, let's set up a mosque to this chair or let's set up, you know, you'd be like, well, that's, that's ridiculous, right? What are you doing? And so, But yet we can do that with wealth and money and not even realizing it becomes uh, a being as opposed to a, a thing there. And so that, that just stood out to me. And then that last part, what? What people highly value is detestable in God's sight. I mean, wow, that's, it makes me think of, uh, you know, tasting something, at least for me, uh, like tasting something that you don't like and then you got that face. You you know what I'm saying? Like I taste something that people always make fun of, like, oh, Marcel, you're picky, you're picky. I'm like, no, I'm selective. (laughs) But then when you taste something, you're like, mm, that's nasty, right? You like spit it out. And it's like, wow, that's how God, use our view or valuing of money. Or he can if we have this type of thing there. So is, would, there, would you add anything more to that idea of personification or this last part of being detestable in God's sight? No. Okay, all right. Let's keep going. Luke 16, verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him into Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony In this fire. What's going on here? not not going to the next slide there. Can you go to the next slide there, please, uh, Twan? But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have, not, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead, or someone from the, sorry about that, but if someone from the dead, what's that? goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Let's go ahead and stop right there. Karina, what what were some things that stood out to you?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing, it reminded me, I think we talked about it in one of the previous sermons, how the rich were considered blessed by God while the poor uh, were considered cursed by God. But and so here's this rich man, and he's clothed um, in purple and fine linen and lives in luxury every day. And so, obviously, he is wealthy, and only the and not only um, somewhat wealthy, but very wealthy because only those um, who had great wealth were able to be clothed in purple and fine linen. Um, And yet, their eternal locations um, after they die indicate. A different story than what most people would have thought as far as um, who was blessed and who was cursed Um, and and so here's um, this rich man um, and I think the thing that that was that stood out to me uh, the most was I read this commentary um, and it pointed out how the rich man didn't do anything inherently evil to Lazarus like we don't see that the rich man kicked him. It says he, you know, there was this beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And it tells us that he was he laid at the gate of the rich man, but it doesn't say that the rich man did anything to him. It didn't say that he kicked him. It didn't say that he mocked him. Um, It just says that he laid there and that's it. Um, and so I, I think about that and I think about how, um, the flaw of the rich man was not noticing him, um, was walking past him and ignoring him. And that's really convicting to me because I think, wow, like there's a lot that I can say like, oh, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Um, but what, what, you know, that doesn't mean that my heart is in the right place, um, and, you know, the rich man, um, you know, was, sorry, I skipped my, I skipped my place. Oh, um, he he was just simply negligent. Um, and I don't want to be negligent. I don't want to close my eyes or cover my ears to the needs around me. But at the same time, that's really overwhelming because there's a lot of needs around me. and um, And so... And I do believe I live in luxury in the sense that I think everyone in America lives in luxury for the most part. I think as Americans we live in luxury, and yet um, I, I don't want to be—I <laughs> don't want to miss a, a Lazarus um, by my gate, you know. And so it just is really convicting to think about that—that that what, you know, what is, what is God putting in front of me that I could be missing?
0: You know, it's, you know it's, it's especially in America. We have, especially in Orange County, right? I mean, there's a lot of wealth, and I know a lot of times we can think somebody else has more money, and they, they probably do. But it's hard for us to be in touch with the needs around us, and so we can maybe not notice the needs, not see the needs. And the thing that struck me, even as you're sharing, is that Jesus, he, he values faithfulness over finances. Like he lifts up Lazarus because he was faithful, but yet the rich man is the one who had the finances. And I'm sure he, he, he did some things in this, in this parable, or some believe it's a parable, some believe that, that it's a real story here, regardless of the case here that we would think, well, he has character, he's obviously doing things to propel himself, set himself up, maybe his generation's up for financial success. However, he wasn't faithful. And so the real Jesus is not looking at our bank accounts and seeing how Uh, how how we're successful in that realm, but how faithful we are to him and to God's commands. Let's continue going on over to Luke chapter 18 here. Now we jump on over. Church, are you still with us here? Luke 18, we're going to start off in verse uh, 18. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. So everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, well, who who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Let's stop right there. Krina. what what, what stood out to you there?
1: Well, the first thing that stood out to me uh, was that this rich man um, was challenged to give to the poor. Uh, You know, it it says... um, I lost the verse, but you saw it. <laughs> um, that, you know, when when he t- he asked him all these questions about what he should do, he says, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And I thought that was interesting because, obviously, just a f- couple of chapters before that, we see that there was a, another rich man who was punished for not... Um, for for not being kind to the poor, for neglecting the poor. And so I thought it was interesting that Jesus then sees this rich man and gives him the opportunity uh, to give to the poor. Um, But also what stood out to me is that he was, again, someone who on the outside looked good, on the outside was doing the right things. Um, You know, he could have been... um, he could have been a member of the sanhedrin or the uh the jewish ruling council um and here was someone again who was doing the right things on the outside he looked good uh and yet jesus saw something inside of him that was lacking um and it was it wasn't again you know the this obvious dramatic thing <laughs> uh, uh or this outward sin it was his heart it was it was his love for money and um, that's all, again, it's really convicting and it's really scary because I don't want to just be deceived about where my heart is before God. And yet I think being in a society where money is highly valued um, and not always used the way God wants us to use it, I think it can be easy to miss that. Um, but I do think that uh, God has something um, in store for us when we, when, we make, when we make sure our hearts are in the right place.
0: And so from, from looking at this, what, is, what, what do you overall see about the real Jesus?
1: Um, well, I think, you know, the other thing is, you know, when Jesus ends off, he says, um, he, he's talking to the disciples and he says, he kind of gives them this, this promise. Uh, I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will, will fail to receive many times and much, as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And that is interesting because you, we just saw that when he, it's not finances and material possessions and money that he values, So when he says, hey, if you give things up, you're going to get something much more, it kind of circles back to chapter 16, right, where he says, what people value highly is attestable in God's sight. And so it tells me that what Jesus is offering is so much more than material possessions. And... I think when i think about this real jesus it makes me want to examine my own heart (laughs) it makes me want to evaluate the way i'm using my money um and not just in comparison to worldly standards but according to jesus and his view of money um the other thing i think it specifically makes me want to um, evaluate uh his his call to the poor to give to the poor and it makes me want to evaluate my own, like, okay, what, are, what is God calling me to do? Uh, you know, how is he calling me to help others? And I wanna make sure whatever I am doing already aligns with his will, and if there's something else that he wants me to do, I wanna make sure that I'm, I'm seeing that, and that I, again, that I'm not missing the Lazarus at my gate.
0: It sounds like you already alluded to this question, that this is how you, you, you see the real Jesus from these passages. And so, what, what, what is your response to that?
1: I guess I already answered. That. I guess I, I skipped over. Um, yeah, I think that's my response. Is that I, I want to. I, I think even praying about that today. Um, just okay. What it. There's just so much to think about, um, and I don't want to be naive. Um, and I think minimize this. I think it's easy to minimize it. Is what I see. I think I see the real Jesus doesn't value, um, doesn't he? He doesn't have the same view as money as we do, and his use of money is not for what we would deem <laughs> appropriate. I think when we think of money, I think we use. We think of money for our purposes, to use for our benefit, um, and yet Jesus sees a different use of money, um, and, he, and, the, and therefore the value of it is different um, mm. because it's no longer for our own purposes, but it's for God's purposes. And so then, I, so then my response is, okay, how do I use, uh, where is my heart, and how do I make sure that my money is being used for God's purposes?
0: And so that's one of the things that's pretty remarkable here about Jesus and our American culture, is that we value money as, or view money as the end goal. Yeah. Right, don't we do that here in America? Like if we think about it, and I'm, I'm a biggest promoter of higher education, so come on all my college students, amen? Mm-hmm. Let's go Titans, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Throw up your T's, all right? And so I'm huge, I'm a big proponent, but growing up, what do we here? You go to college so that you can do what? Get a better job so that you can make more money. So what's the end goal? Money, right? And what is the goal, or at least money, is so that we can do what? Buy things for ourselves, right? Or we can have some form of luxury or some sort of recreational fun. Whatever the case may be, the end goal is money. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not the end. That's not the goal. It's the means but not even to self, not even for personal selfish gains, it's the means for kingdom purposes. The money is supposed to be used for kingdom purposes, for relationships, for building, for helping the poor and the needy. And so that's how Jesus views finances, wealth, possessions, which is totally counterculture to what we experience here in America. And we were born into this, right? I mean, even if we try to to figure out a different way, this is what we were born into in our society. I'm a biggest victim of it and and probably was the biggest proponent of it in many ways as well. But we see Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I don't live in America. I'm not American. And this is what's righteous. And so again, we are now called to evaluate ourselves And say, will we reject how Jesus views money? Will we minimize it to justify ourselves? Or will we submit, surrender, and adopt his view of money and apply that to our lives and our context? And as we've been reading in this, I mean, I've just been challenged I'm just like, wow, I mean, I'm just challenged. You know, I I got, uh, somebody gave me some money for some some services that uh, I just did as a minister. I'm like, I, I do this for free, you know, it's okay. And they gave me some money, and the first thing I thought is, hmm, what can I buy for myself? And honestly, you can argue, that's not necessarily a bad thing, somebody, I wasn't expecting this money, you know what I mean? But that's the way our mind works. Money is what? It's going to give me what I want or desire. And it's not a need but some form of luxurious living or desires that I have. You guys get what I'm saying? And I know we all can relate to this, and that's what's so outstanding here and so challenging as an American is, whoa, how am I going to react and respond to this? Because the real Jesus, he would spend his money differently than we would. And that's challenging. The real Jesus would view money differently than we do. And again, this is a hard, sobering truth but this is also freeing of us to not be slaves to money, not be slaves to our culture and society. We can live the way God wants us to and invest in kingdom purposes and see kingdom purposes realized in our lives. Amen? Amen. And so I want to go ahead and give us here a couple of quick action steps in prayer for the week. We want to have communal action steps and a communal prayer of the week here. And so the first one is to reflect on your view of money And then share your reflection with a friend. So a lot of us, we get together, we call these discipling times. And so to go ahead and reflect, you know, what is my view? Does it align with Jesus? Is it the same as Jesus? Or has it become, has has money become personified? Is it a master in my life? Do I have the same money? And if not, if I don't have the same view of Jesus about money, what am I going to do about that? You know, not just reflect on it, but what am I going to do after my reflection. But then share that with a friend there so we can have some good dialogue and possibly some healthy accountability. And then here's the communal prayer is if we could all pray every day this week that our church can have the same view and value about money that Jesus has. So for the next seven days here, let's all pray for each other that we can not only take this individually, but collectively live a radical life in our context and society. We have a radical view that is not the norm here in Orange County, but it's godly. And again, it's the real Jesus being not only known, followed, but shown in our society, amen? And so we have to ask ourselves this question, and I'm so grateful that the real Jesus does this, that that he challenges our worldviews, and he challenges something that's really deep and embedded into the culture and fabric here in Orange County here. And so that we can make sure that we view money properly. That it's a means, it's not a master. That we can go ahead and have the same values, that we can use it for kingdom treasures, not to obtain as many worldly treasures for ourselves. Let's use money to meet needs to help people and for kingdom purposes. Let's close out here in Luke 16, verse 13. It says, no one can serve two masters, Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, "You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people highly valuable, what people highly value, what people value highly, is detestable in God's sight." The real Jesus wasn't American. Thank you so much.